Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Peter. Hi everybody, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. In this uh, edition, we're going to talk a little bit more about Southern strategies, but we've got a Southern uh, individual on the phone. He's from SA Farms Management Service, uh, Rocky Burris. Rocky Burris, I'm really happy to have him on. He's from Tennessee. He manages properties in Tennessee. He travels to multiple states, providing land management services, on-site consulting, and uh, he really has a wealth of knowledge. He's had national wide TV show for years, Sweet Addiction TV, but he's really kind of dove headfirst into managing properties for others. And I really like having a Southern perspective. The topic today, and, and it is gonna have probably some land management, you know, focus parts, but it's really gonna be focused on, you know, the information or intel that, that you gain from, from this season and how you can apply it to next season. And of course, we'll probably go uh, in a bunch of different directions with this. But uh, I, you know, I'm really happy to have Rocky a part of you know the contributing co- uh, podcast team that I have, and uh, want to pull him on. Hey, Rocky, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great. Hey, why don't you give a little more background on you and uh, kind of you know tell us where you're at? I know I know you're you're hunting fool lately, but uh, you know you're 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 probably going to start your land management clients soon. Um, I kind of want to know where you're, where you're at right now. Uh, what you're doing, are you still hunting? You know, where, where you're at with everything? Well, right now we're, we're kind of in the off season as far as what we're doing hands on. Um, we, we're booking a bunch of consultant jobs and, and those are actually probably going to end up taking up some of my hunting season. Uh, it seems like they're stacking up and I've got, uh, I've got a, a wife that's about to have a baby here anytime. So uh, <laughs> we're going to, we're kind of having to force that to happen and get, uh, see some farms a bit early, but I, I always try to do that, you know, before the green up so I can see this year's evidence, uh, and help those clients, you know, design their farms. But, uh, as far as what we're doing right now, we're just, we're trying to wait on these, uh, deer to come back home, uh, in certain areas. I've got deer that I've patterned from last year. Kind of using what you're talking about, I mean, we were going and running cameras from last year, and and I had certain deer in certain areas uh, late season because I always try to provide late season habitat and food. And when they come back home and group back up, a lot of times where they summer, they'll do that, and it seems to be a great tactic 
uh, see who made it through the season and if he's still desirable enough that, and not busted up that we'll we'll go in and try to see if we can't get the weather to play right and get a shot at him. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our season is about to end here. Well, we have a break, like a they have a Christmas break, and then then we start hunting, and then we end on the thirty first. But uh, no, I, I'm I'm the same way. You know, I, I'm back to the deer suck. I've got you know obviously late season food, thermal cover. Um, I'm expecting to see a, a big boy roll back around on on my parcel, but you know I'm kind of pushing that for next year. Yeah, I've I've been fortunate this year, so. Uh, I might whack a doe or two, so that's that's kind of where where I'm at. So I wanted to ask you a little bit. I know you work. I know you live in Tennessee, and you're working in multiple states. Is is most of your work in Tennessee, or is it is it is it in you know states adjacent to you? Well, of course, luckily, uh, uh, seems to be a lot of the hands-on properties uh, here in Tennessee. Yeah. I do. I do a couple in Kentucky and one in Alabama that I, I'm I'm pretty hands on with as far as developing and and building you know bedding areas and stuff like that for them. But um, most of my clients that are in the other states like Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, uh, all those guys are are more. We do walk through property, you know, walk through their property, design a map, and and kind of lay out a, a, the hunting strategy that fits their goals and and try to get them in and out undetected. That's, I mean, I think that's one of the huge things when it comes to being a habitat specialist is being able to design the hunt around the deer and never knowing that you hunted them. So yeah. if you can do that, it really helps. So, you know, your your approach is similar to a lot of obviously land managers and your strategy obviously you've you've found a lot of success i mean i've seen some of the deer that you've killed and uh you know it's just it's it's definitely impressive uh particularly in the areas that you're hunting uh you know killing kind of those top end you know i call them the one percenters right that the deer that no one can kill you kill um so i'm i'm always impressed with that particularly when you're you're hunting a lot of pressured areas you know, as it relates to kind of your last year's camera data that you've had, the trail camera data, you know, how do you use that information to support, you know, your your strategy this year? Because I know that is a big uh, focus of yours on your prop properties and clients' properties. So can you kind of walk me through kind of your philosophy and strategy as it relates to camera data, at least from the prior year? So I, I, I believe the cameras are or everything when it comes to, uh, you can't have enough of them out in the field because they're just collecting for you. And, and when you can go back and re and revisit that data and look at, uh, every single time that he hit daylight, every time, every time you got a photo of him, the way, the direction he came from and different companies are now coming out. Like, uh, they got, certain companies that'll pattern your deer and you can go back to the date and see what wins it was and everything. So a lot of that stuff helps me because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a weakness in his, I mean, if he's mature and that's the deer I'm hunting almost always I'm trying to hunt the oldest deer that I can find and, and probably the smartest, but he's had his way of surviving and he has very few weaknesses. So when you go back and look at those di- the dissect those cameras and stuff, oh my god, there's a coyote chasing 
pet turkey right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Right in my backyard. Um, but yeah, when you go and look at these things and, uh, it really helps you pin down what days to try to hunt next year. And because I mean, he's only giving you that evidence. A lot of times these big deer are only showing a weakness on certain days and the weather has a whole, whole lot to do with it. So if you get a good cold front and you know, the week that he's normally visiting your property in that certain area that you think you can get him, I really pay attention to that each, each year. So, and I've noticed even in my area, certain farms have different ruts. It's really different. I mean, I have, I have one farm that on the seventh, I'll have great, uh, success with trying to, to hunt this one farm. It's 40 acres, but there's always two or three hot does in my bedding area built. And, and within a day or two of, of every, every year, they always are hot at the same time. So it attracts mature deer and those cameras are telling me that. And then when I hunted that, boom, you could see it all. So, I mean, it was definitely key. So you're seeing in this case, in certain areas that you hunt annual patterns and in some capacity within, you know, a, a few varied days, but consistency on those particular properties, that's, that's really interesting. Well, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've struggled to see that on a lot of the properties that I hunt. And I mean, I'm in New York, you know, it's a little different up here, but like your rut period, you're saying varies significantly across your landscape. Is, is that true? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, the, the rut, it seems like, you know, the rut's only about a week to 10 days, something like that, as far as the peak rut. I mean, it's a 40 day cycle. But, I mean, you're you're really looking at the peak being, you know, when your hot does are in. And, and I'm seeing different farms producing hot does at different times of year, right. all within an hour's drive of each other. Yeah. So I have one 40-acre farm that's on the 7th to 7th to 8th. I have three hot does that are in this bedding area almost always. And then Thanksgiving Day or the day after – depending on I can go from seeing one buck to 13 bucks like I did this year and in just one day's difference but it was always within a day of each other and then I can drive 45 minutes to the my furthest farm and it's it's a big farm but it's always December first of December to third so I mean you're talking about it's just when your majority of doe your majority of deer your does become in seat, you know, in season. It's any high fence person will tell you that their does come into heat within a day or two of each other every single year. Right. right. So, so yep. that, that, that the moon, the weather, all that really doesn't affect them as much as people try to play it. But I mean, those are all cards you can put in your stack, of course, when it comes to hunting. But I really believe that the cameras, tell you i mean it's common sense the cameras are going to tell you when when those girls are in because they're going to get run crazy you know it's just a, the ruts up because you're going to get lots of pictures and stuff and then it makes you want to go hunt and then all of a sudden you see why you're seeing three or four of your shooters in one bedding area bumping in and out trying to get you know the hot dough so 
Is your, is your, are you a bit like, uh, I'll call it predictive analysis. Are you kind of in the phase where you've got this data, you've collected it, and now what you're doing is you're analyzing it annually, but you're also looking at some other factors in that equation. And I'm, I'm assuming that you're kind of predicting when that may happen again, based on other circumstances or what you're seeing just in general usage on the property. How do you go from the data that you have to making a decision? And I think a lot of people struggle with that. So, so I've got stand setups in each area that I, I predict to be a great kill spot. If you were to say it as sure. rough as you can say it. Yep. So when you, when you design these kill spots or whatever, I try to have them for every opposite like two or three different winds that I can hunt. Those east winds, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but that east wind is like, I always predict to have setups for east winds. I bet you 95% of my maturest deer that I've ever harvested were on east winds. Oh, yeah. And so, so when you got, and most people won't even hunt that because they think, well, that's such a least that, East to least, you know, we're, there's no <laughs> sense in setting up for that win because yeah. I need to set up for where I can hunt the most. Well, I mean, you're killing yourself because I'm mean, telling you, it's a reset win. That is, that's what I call that east win is a reset win. That deer has to reset how he lives. Yeah. And so when you get so to get back on topic, the those areas are betting areas that I have each one set up for a certain week, and I will not go in is and win and water help me. So like I have a certain bedding area and you know, I'm not ever going to crop dust that bedding area of trying to get to the stand, even though my bo- a lot of time I hunt box stands because I like to film. So I build these box stands that are really airtight and I, I tar the cracks. I mean, I, everything's airtight. You can't slam the door cause it won't let air out. So but I'll I'll get in those boxes like that, and literally the wind can shift and change that day, and I'm good. So, and I'll, I'll, so. yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And you got chopped up a little bit with the audio, but if you if you draw that back, so you're designing these properties to be utilized during a certain time of year. Before you got there, or before you made those decisions to cut cut in bed areas, or just you know manipulate habitat, were you using the the previous year's data or several years data before you made a move on those properties? And then obviously the camera data would probably continue. At least the changes would help amplify what was previously happening. Are you noticing kind of a connection there? And I'm I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but how have you kind of designed these? And how's the camera data helped you design these? Well, the cameras, the cameras just gave me the proof that, that, that certain deer like those areas at certain times of year. Yep. So uh, I would, you know, I always track deer with the cameras. I go back and say, okay, I didn't hunt this farm. I, did, I left these cameras the whole season. Now I'm going to go in and put new batteries and everything, pull the cards and let them run for late season. And then I'll go back and go through all the data that I collected with the cameras and say, Oh, that, that deer was nice this year. He's going to be probably a top target for next year. And I'll say, okay, he was here on this day, this day, this day. So this whole week he was here this whole week. And then I kind of just, okay, so I'm going to go back next year. I have this, different ideas that I say, okay, when the weather hits right, 
this is really close to the rut and he was here, I want to hunt that, that area or that farm. But I, you know, I'll use that data just to tell me when he really likes to be there. And a lot of times they revisit. It seems like, like clockwork. I mean, I, I killed a 14 point last year in Tennessee, which is probably, you know, like you said, the top 1%. I mean, this deer, anybody would have went out of stand to shoot. And I almost <laughs> did. It's the first time I ever shot one off camera. Didn't even touch the camera. So I'll tell you. <laughs> so I, I, I literally killed him one day after I saw him last the year before. Wow. One day after. Wow. So what I did though is I went into a vantage spot because the wind was wrong and literally sat in the truck and only hunted like thirty or forty minutes just watching this area and glassing it. And I seen him come out and I, he crossed right in front of my truck. I could have shot him out the window <laughs> and he had a big drop time and I was like, Man, look at that and I was like, Man, just something about him made me think he was like not quite ready to shoot. Like, I, I don't know. I'd already had a good year, so I just didn't shoot him. And I didn't even try to. Didn't I let him do the thing, and I didn't even hunt him. But I saw him on that date, and I went back to my buddy. I was like, man, what day was that that I saw the drop time book? And he told me, and he's like, dude, that was this week. And I said, oh, the weather's going to be good this day and this day. I said, I'm hunting every day I can. I don't care if it's 30 minutes after work. I'm going. Yeah, yeah. So, so I did, and literally I was there 45 minutes, and he came from across the highway coming back to my property, just like he did the day I saw him. He was coming across the highway past my truck, walking into my property. Yeah. So, I mean, he was coming back home, and it was way later from when I'd seen him the year before. So, I mean, that wasn't trail but that was my visual evidence, which I had pictures of him later, you know, but... I saw the day he came home like the year before, and he came back most of the day. It's crazy to me how the eternal clock, they yeah. all work the same. I mean, they, they have their, their creatures of habits just like us. That's how they pattern us. So Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, yeah, annual, annual patterns to me, I, I you know, I'll, I'll just tell you the areas that I hunt, and, and maybe this is just my circumstance, but I've noticed in areas that I've managed on, at least that are, you know, better managed, larger properties, I absolutely see some of those annual routine, you know, kind of predictable, uh, I'll say, habits. In my area specifically, I don't have, uh, you know, it's hard to get deer to uh, to live uh, into the next age class. So, you know, an annual habit may be disturbed just based on the hunting pressure. And obviously, of course, if they're harvested, they, they won't show up again. But, you know, I, I think for some people that's completely relatable. And I would say, like, my takeaway, at least in this discussion, is the trail camera data and shaping, you know, your property to relate well to that data. I mean, you can design a hunting property you know, and improve it specifically in these areas where you're seeing a lot of deer interest and then amplifying the interest based upon those techniques and improvements. And then like you're saying, either with observation or camera data, you know, continuing to monitor that and, and making kind of decisions based on that deer's either routine or, you know, pr- predictable habits and, and making a decision to kill him in those kill locations. And I, I'm assuming you're drawing them into those, 
you know, box blind setups that you have where you're still, you know, you're worried about the wind, but you know, you're, you can, you can cheat it a little bit and cheating that gives you way more opportunity where, uh, you know, somebody who's just sitting in a regular, you know, hang on stand won't have the, the same options. So you're still playing the win, I'm sure. But obviously, you know, you're, you're giving yourself more options with those box blinds, you know, undoubtedly. Well, yeah, and the biggest thing with the sign is you don't ever a crop dust where he might be. So, uh, I mean, when you walk in and your wind's blowing, he, he might be with the hot dust, you just run the day. So what I do is I make sure that I can get in. And I prefer the days that wind switches, which you can't hunt a normal stand and not have to get out when the wind's switching or changing. But when the wind's switching and changing, it's making him have to change where he's best because he's got to get up and go somewhere that he feels safe and use the wind to his advantage again. That's how he survives. Yeah. yeah. So those are like key days to hunt, but a lot of people don't get to hunt those days, or or if they do, the deer know it. And so that's why these scent scent type boxes are killer, because you can get in and and you got to just make sure your entrance is perfect, and and you're putting all your cards in your hand, and, and playing them, you know, when it comes down to that day. So, you know, if you're going to have a bad win when you leave, you better hope that he came that day because you could you could educate him. Yeah, it doesn't take one or two times to educate him, and it's and it's over. But uh, as far as daylight moving, I mean, I don't think you could really drive a deer out of an area, but you can definitely pressure him to not move when he's not feeling the safest. You know. Yeah, so. I, I echo that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, any other things that you think would be key with the trail camera data other than annual patterns? And obviously you're looking at wind, you're looking at temperature, you're, you're just looking at the weather conditions in general, any, anything else that you can. And I like one of the things you said is you're, you're, you know, you're identifying their approach. You're looking at how they utilize an area and you're looking at the frequency of that, you know, how often they're using an area and making some you know, observation, you know, decisions, and and then you're going in an attack. Is there anything else that you, you kind of key in on? Well, uh, you know, every farm as a habitat specialist, you know, you know how much the habitat counts. But when you design them and stuff, that's what you're, you're patterning deer coming back to your design because everybody else doesn't have what you have. Right. So, so that makes that part of the pattern easier but when you get outside the box like i try to look at every kind of weakness every kind of help that i can find with trail cameras and and another big one is uh when you see your first fall hit the ground and you can go back 201 days before that is when she was bred so now now you're changing the game uh even more because you know when she was actually bred and he knows five to seven days before that he's with her. Yeah, you know it's a ten day lockdown period. So there's that gives you the week also or when you need to really pay attention because she's a homebody and she's not she's not going to be a a roamer like he will be during that time of year. So if he she was bred at that time, now you know when she was hot. Now you know when she was desirable and and everything, and, and you already know she's she's food to water bed in your area because that's where she lives. So, I mean, it just, just one more card in your stack. But I mean that, I think that I go through every time I see a new farm, I write down what farm it was, what day the farm was, uh, 
dropped, and then I go back and write the day, and I circle it, and I'm like, okay, there's seven days, ten days right there. I need to pay attention. And if a mature buck is frequent in that area around those same time of day that she's in heat, there's a good chance that he's with her or could be with her, and that's when I, I really pay attention. So, yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's, it's, it's, that's great. I, I like the idea of walking back that data. All right, I got to ask you one last question, and we'll we'll end this. So I, I know on your personal farm, which I, I know has been pretty productive for you, what would you say number of cameras you're you're running either you know per acre or overall, uh, and on average what you're running on your properties uh, that you that you manage otherwise? What would be your rough number? Uh, I'm probably I'm probably the worst person to ask. <laughs> I've got probably 150 trail cameras out, and I've got uh, about 35 cell cameras right now, and I got 30 more coming this week. Cell uh, <laughs> cameras, so I'm like I'm obsessed with cameras and data, and and I'm I don't know. I mean, I I have to talk to you later about this camera that I'm really obsessed about here lately, and see if you even want to mention this on your show. But this camera, this one camera that I've just ordered 30 more of it it will predict it's not necessarily predict but it collects data to a level that no other camera can do right now and i'm just obsessed with the data obviously as we've been talking it really helps you i mean basically i'm hunting like i hadn't hunted this week i've had my kids i hadn't really you know i don't want to force them out no unless sure. it's right so but a lot of these farms i won't hunt them all season, I'll go in and within two days I'll kill him. Yeah. yeah, but it's because I've collected so much data. It's just like it's like a light, like a light turns on. <laughs> if you don't hunt this day, you messed up. So I'll go in and or I'll if it's not a buck that, but he's old enough, you know, he's five or six. I'll tell my buddy, I was like, hey, you hadn't killed a deer this year. Slip in there, just try to film it, you know. And he'll go kill, you know, one of my shooters. I, I sent one in last year. He hunted one day and killed it. But it's it's really the data is where it's at with these trail cameras, and if you can go back and and somehow figure out the wind that that deer preferred, the the weather, the temperature, the all those different things help you design the hunt. And and of course, you know, you're like me, we design the hunt. That's what we do. So yeah. Yeah. when you when you've got that data in the beginning. It, it makes it almost easy to go in and say, hey, I need to do this to the habitat, manipulate it here and here, set up the stand right here, all with the stand and wind in mind. And, okay, the first time we have in those seven days, if I get a cold front come in after a warm front, you'd be crazy not to be sitting right here. Yeah, you know? yeah. You've just, and, ma- you and- just made it sound easy, Rocky. You've made it sound too easy. But you're right, though. <laughs> I mean – and, and that strategy of going in just a couple days and based upon the data, it's like this strategic SWAT operation. And, um, you know, that's what, that's what I kind of focus on is, you know, I pay attention to every step and every move, and then I'm making a decision to, 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 uh, to kill a particular deer. And like you said, you're breaking down his, you know, his chink in his armor in the off season in order to make a decision. And you'll notice like, and I've noticed this is, you know, there's routine movement on these properties that makes it way more huntable. And, you know, that makes the hunting that much easier once you get in to the depths of just 
the manipulation side of this thing. So, I mean, I think you putting the picture together here for me is I've learned uh, quite a bit just having this conversation and I'm sure other people have as well. So I'm interested to hear more about some of your hunts. Um, We'll focus on habitat, obviously a little bit more, but I think breaking down a particular deer with your system and your style and how you killed it. I I think a lot of people will enjoy those conversations. So I, I think in future podcasts, uh, I think that's where we'll go. Talking deer, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rocky. Hey, man, thanks for being on the show, taking the time. We'll hear from you again, of course, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll uh, we'll look forward to the next call. All right, man. God bless. I hope you all have a great day and good luck, good luck hunting. Thank you. All right. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.